Well, one of the great privileges of serving at Millington Baptist Church is raising up new trained ministers for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we have an opportunity to uh, credential and license one of our own church members, Henry Frere. We'll do that towards the end of the service. Uh, but let me introduce Henry to you if you don't know him. Henry is married to Julissa, and they have two wonderful children, Abigail and Matthew. Henry was born and raised right here in New Jersey, uh, but has also lived in Illinois and Massachusetts. Henry completed his undergraduate studies in electrical engineering from Stevens Institute of Technology and works today in the field of telecommunications. However, a few years ago, he felt the call of God uh, to pursue a theological training and now holds a Master of Divinity degree as well as a Master of Theology degree from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Henry enjoys playing soccer, reading, traveling, and spending time with his wife and children. The Frere family currently live in Bernardsville, and we are glad they are glad to be back in New Jersey, and we are glad to have them back in New Jersey. Would you join me in a warm Millington Baptist Church welcome for Henry Frere as you bring the word this morning? Well, good morning, NBC. I hope you had a good Merry Christmas. Thanks, Pastor Dave and Pastor Bob, for letting me share from God's Word today. Thanks, NBC, for being a blessing to my family and me. And it's been a little over a year since we moved back to New Jersey, and transitions are always hard. Uh, one of our kids was asking the other day, you know, where, where's the snow? Um, you know, our first winter in New England, it, was over, it snowed over 100 inches and broke a ton of records. And so, you know, thanks, NBC, for loving my, my family well. Well, there's an Eastern proverb that wisely states, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. In other words, in order to get to where you want to get to, you need to start by taking a step in that direction. At the church where I did my pastoral internship in Massachusetts, they had a pithy saying that went like this, steps change stories. Let me say it again, steps change stories. And what they mean by that is that God wants to change the story of your life. As you take steps of faith, God will meet you where you're at, he will transform you, and he will write a better story for your life. Now in 2014, my wife and I took a step of faith, and we went to seminary in Massachusetts so I can get some theological training. Now I'm an engineer by trade, so this is a major change. Uh, any other engineers out there? Yeah, I see you, I see you. Uh, I went from solving differential equations to studying biblical languages and writing many papers, but I mean, you have to be obedient to God's calling when he wants you to do something. And God calls people from all walks of life and different life stages, even engineers. He is changing our story, and we're glad to be back in New Jersey. I'm thankful to be able to serve the local church. Well, that's a little intro to my story, and I'll be sharing more throughout, which brings us to this morning's message. The new year is upon us, and that means people are thinking about new year resolutions, right? The end of the year is a good time to reflect on the current year, but also to look forward to the new year. Besides some of the more common new year resolutions, like exercising more, losing weight, learning a new skill, or saving money, here's some more creative resolutions that I found online. Here's the first one. If you're feeling adventurous, you might want, maybe you can throw a dart on a map and go there. <laughs> How about this one? Find a shared hobby with your spouse. Husbands, I'm sure your wives would appreciate that. How about this one? Schedule weekly time to be bored. 
I know my daughter's ears perked up when I shared this at home. I mean, the idea is that we stifle creativity in our lives when we don't give ourselves enough free time. How about this one? A little, probably thinking outside of the box. Become pen pals with someone in prison. Sometimes it just takes a letter to transform a life. When Marlon Peterson was in prison, he began receiving letters filled with stories and cartoons from school children. They made him feel like he mattered, and he also shared with them with two of his friends who were inmates. Now, he and his friends are published writers, gun violence prevention advocates, and youth program innovators. And Marlon says he owes it to the pen pal program. It boosted my sense of worthiness. It gave me a sense of what I could contribute to this planet, he says. Now, here's my favorite. Do one thing that scares you, knowing that you'll get rejected. Sounds strange, right? But the idea is that we tend to not achieve some of our goals because of fear of rejection. Jia Jiang shares in a TED Talk, and he also writes in a book, that if we can desensitize ourselves from the pain of rejection, we can overcome fear and accomplish some of our goals. And so what he did for, uh, to kind of prove out this, this thesis he went for 100 days. He sought ways to purposely get rejected. So one day he went up to a stranger and he asked to borrow $100. <laughs> On another occasion, he went to a restaurant and he asked for a burger refill. <laughs> can, can you imagine that going up to the waitress? Uh, may I please have a burger refill? Uh, you know, of course they said no, but these experiences helped them to embrace that rejection was part of life. So what are your resolutions and goals for 2020? Also, what drives and motivates the goals you will pursue in 2020? Right, sometimes we have goals and we haven't really thought through the motivation behind the goal, the why we're pursuing what we're pursuing. Now this morning I want to share a little bit about the Apostle Paul, who had a singular passion and a clear life goal. Paul's life goal can be encapsulated in the following verses. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with it in its blessings. Now what Paul did and did not do was driven by his desire to make Christ known and to receive the promises of the gospel. Paul's whole life was turned upside down when the resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He was radically transformed from a persecutor of Christians to a preacher of the gospel. In one of the letters to the church at Corinth, he tells them how he has given up some rights that he could have exercised, like having a wife, like eating and drinking certain foods, and even pay for the sake of the gospel. I mean, he didn't want anything, to, anything he did to be an obstacle to someone receiving Jesus. Now, I want to pick it up from there, and I invite you to open God's word to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 or you can just follow on the screen. And while you guys do that, I just want to give a quick shout-out to the Growing Disciples adult education class that worked through 1 Corinthians this past trimester. I was blessed to be able to co-teach and was just really encouraged by the, the, the class discussions and questions. The sermon for me is a sort of a, a culmination of the class. All right, and 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. The word of the Lord says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Before we proceed, let's pray. Uh, Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to, to proclaim your word, and I just pray that you help me, help me to be clear, and I also pray that you bless and encourage everybody that's here, pray that you challenge them, and just pray that they will uh, leave this place uh, having felt closer to you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, the main point of my sermon is the Christian life should be characterized by a pursuit of Jesus, by self-discipline, and perseverance. There are three encouragements that I would like to share. And the first one is the Christian life should be characterized by a pursuit of Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, he describes the Christian life as a race and a boxing match, and it's no coincidence. The Isthmian Games held in Corinth was the second most important Greek athletic competition after the Olympic Games. They were held every two years. Running races and boxing were two of the standard events. Some scholars believe it is plausible that Paul saw the athletes at the Games. Um, also, Paul, as you guys probably know, was a tent maker. And there are ancient accounts of people traveling from all over the empire and staying in tents for the Games. I mean, Paul likely had uh, ample opportunities to interact with many people, even possibly athletes. Now, when Paul says in verse 24 that only one runner receives the prize, he's not saying in Christianity that only one person will win the prize and get saved. So you're not in competition with the person to your left uh, and to your right. So you you can breathe a sigh of relief, especially if you're sitting next to a a church leader. The the thrust of this passage is on our approach to the Christian life and the importance of self-discipline and perseverance. In Christianity, there are a multitude of winners, all those who have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The key question that Paul is getting at is, are we living intently? Are we living deliberately as runners and boxers that compete for a prize? Or as Harold Abrams put it in the movie, Chariots of Fire, I don't run to run. I run to win. Paul in verse 26 writes, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. A boxer, I mean, he he aims to to land blows to his opponent, right? He he doesn't go into the ring and start to shadow box or beat the air when he's up against his opponent, right? I mean, that, that would be foolish. He fights with a purpose. So what is the prize that we should be aiming for? In verse 25, Paul describes the prize as an imperishable crown, also sometimes translated as a wreath. Paul contrasts the imperishable crown with the perishable crown that was awarded to winning athletes in the Isthmian Games. Now, the perishable crowns were made of withered celery plants that would not last very long. Now, I ran my first 5K several years ago in Morristown and did not win the race, but received the medal for participating. I mean, as proud as I am of it, I mean, the the medal is perishable. I mean, it will not last forever. Uh, Actually, it's so perishable. I mean, I was looking for it to show it to you, but I I couldn't find it. Um... (laughs) Now, the imperishable crown is a metaphor for a heavenly and an eternal reward. In Genesis 15:1, God told Abraham, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Amen. Some Bible versions translate it as your exceeding great reward. In Philippians 3:8, Paul writes, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, 
in order that I may gain Christ. As it was for Paul, our prize, our reward is Jesus and all the spiritual blessings that come with being in a relationship with Jesus. Christ needs to be our greatest treasure in life, our greatest pursuit, what captures our heart. Let me say that again. Christ needs to be our greatest treasure in life, our greatest pursuit, what captures our heart. Now, as a practical matter, if, if Christ and his kingdom is what we long for and pursue, this will have implications in how we live in the present world. C.S. Lewis, in responding to the critique that a, an eternal aim is a form of escapism or wishful thinking, writes in Mere Christianity. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So what he's getting at is that we need to aim for that which is imperishable, that which is eternal. We need to have a kingdom-minded perspective. Let me ask you this. Has God been your ultimate pursuit in life this past year? Or have you been pursuing other goals in life over God? If God has been on the periphery in your life or fallen off your radar, your next step today is to lean into God this coming year. If that is you, pray that God will help you to prioritize and pursue God over everything else. Pray that God will help you to see Jesus as the exceeding great reward and treasure that he is. So the Christian life should be characterized by a pursuit of Jesus. Now, my second encouragement this morning is the Christian life should be characterized by self-discipline. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 25, Paul writes, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Every athlete that competes goes into strict training and strict dieting so that they can perform at a high level. I mean, I played tennis in high school, and I remember training in scorching 90-plus degree summer days. Uh, one of the reasons why we're captivated by the Olympics every four years is the dedication that these women and men devote to the pursuit of medals. I mean, the high level of discipline and skill required is amazing. World-class athletes like uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and LeBron James are renowned for their work ethic. Patrice Evra one of Cristiano's ex-teammates tells a story of when Cristiano invited him to his house for lunch after a training session. Patrice recalls, at the table there was only salad and plain white chicken, so I was like, okay, and water, not any juice. So we started eating, and I was thinking some big meat would be coming after that, but there was nothing. Now, Ronaldo had just finished, and he stood up, and he started playing with a ball, doing some skills, and he said, all right, let's do some two-touch. And I was like, okay, can I just finish eating? Or Ronaldo replied, no, no, let's, let's play two-touch. So we started playing two-touch. And after that, he said, let's go to the pool to swim. I was like, okay. After going in the jacuzzi, the sauna, I was like, I'm done. I said, Cristiano, why have we come here? Have we come here because we have a game tomorrow or just for lunch? And Patrice ended the story. So that's why I would recommend that anyone, when Cristiano invites you to his house, don't go. (laughs) Just say no because this guy, he's a machine. He doesn't want to stop training. That's the attitude of some of the, the, the top athletes. Now, in verse 27, Paul, referring to himself, writes, But I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. Now, the word for discipline literally here means to give a black eye, to strike in the face, to treat roughly. 
I mean, some people use this verse to support self-flagellation, the flogging of oneself. However, I don't think that's what Paul is advocating here. Paul's point is that if athletes are willing to undergo strict training for a perishable crown, how much more disciplined should we be in our spiritual lives? Now, perhaps you're you know, not convinced and you're still kind of wondering, why do I need to be you know, disciplined in, in my spiritual life? Well, let me just give you a couple of reasons. One reason is the world is vying for our hearts and minds, for our attention, to take it away from God. And so our hearts chase after different pursuits, seeking happiness and satisfaction that only God can give. The word the Bible uses for this is idolatry. And we're reminded of this tendency in the hymn that we sang earlier today, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Let me just read the la- uh, one of the verses from that hymn, which says, O oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Now, another reason why we need to be disciplined spiritually is that we have cultural changes that require us to be more disciplined than ever. For example, we're living in an instant gratification culture where the virtue of patience is eroding. Right? All you have to do is click on the computer and get whatever you want at your doorstep in two days. I mean, if it doesn't arrive, we get upset. I mean, I know that happened to, to us. Has that happened to anybody else here? Anybody else get upset? Right? Um, yeah. Also, now you can go to some restaurants and you don't even have to make a line, right? You can just find an open table, order from your phone, and then tap the table, right? And they'll serve you your food, right? Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm an engineer and I embrace technology and innovation. The concern is, you know, some of these technological advances coming at a cost. And how do we interact? How do we interact with it from a spiritual and moral perspective? A cultural commentator wrote that we're getting so impatient as a society that we might not have the patience to do any more research studies on patience. <clears throat> now, another reason why we need to be spiritually disciplined is because we live in a superficial culture. Richard Foster captures this sentiment when he writes in the book, Celebration of Discipline, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is the primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Now, what he's getting at is that we need to think more deeply about the weighty matters of life. Who is God? Who are we? What is sin? What is there after death? Some people refer to these as worldview issues. It's okay to talk about sports, entertainment, and the weather, but if that's all we're talking about, we're not going deeper in our lives. Now, the bottom line is, that spiritual maturity takes work, right? If we want to develop spiritual muscles, we need to be doing spiritual exercises. We need to let the Holy Spirit work in us as we practice age-old spiritual disciplines. Now, let me give you some practical steps that you can take to change the story of your life in 2020. Richard Foster lists 13 spiritual disciplines in his book broken out by inward, outward, and corporate disciplines. Now, these are artificial categories, but they give us a sense of the disciplines that we can do to help us grow in our faith. Now, I don't have time to flesh all of these out, but we'll expand on some that may not be as obvious, especially to the, to the modern world. 
The inward disciplines are practices that help us internalize and reflect upon our faith. And some of the examples that he gives includes thoughtful meditation, prayer, fasting, and study of God's word. Now, the outward disciplines have to do with lifestyle practices which reflect an inward reality. And one of the examples that he gives is simplicity, that of simplifying our lives. Foster talks about seeking God's kingdom first, seeking possessions in proper perspective. For example, he gives practical advice on buying things for their usefulness rather than their status. Learning to deaccumulate by giving away. The other example is solitude. Spending time alone in reading of God's word, meditation, prayer, and worship to care and nurture our souls. Submission, learning to submit to one another, not always getting what we want or our way. And service, serving one another and serving the community. Now, the corporate disciplines are practices that we do collectively. The corporate disciplines uh, include confession, worship, guidance, the practice of seeking counsel in community, and celebration, learning to rejoice free of worry. Now, let me offer two more applications from the list. The first one that I would like to highlight is the study of God's word. When you hold up God's word and and, and read it, it's like holding up a lightning rod. The lightning rod lets the spirit work in you. The Bible is a a conduit through which God works in us. And and the new year is a great time to begin working through a Bible reading plan. The app you version has many reading plans available to you. And if you're not plugged into an adult education class or small group, let me encourage you to join one. They're going to be relaunching in January, as uh, mentioned by, by Pastor Dave earlier. <clears throat> now, worship is another spiritual discipline that I want to highlight. I want to encourage you to be intentional about giving every Sunday, uh, about coming every Sunday for corporate worship and experiencing God's presence. Tim Keller put it this way, the secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping, weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and to be moved by it. Moved to tears and moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and what he has done for you. Let me ask you this. Are you running hard for Jesus? Does Paul's description come close to resembling your Christian life? Or does your schedule for 2020 reflect that you will be disciplined in practicing some of the spiritual disciplines? Now, I don't pose these questions as someone who has arrived. I mean, I'm right there with you in need of God's grace to grow in practicing the spiritual disciplines. So the Christian life should be characterized by a pursuit of Jesus, by self-discipline. And my third encouragement this morning is that it should also be characterized by perseverance. Now, the Oxford Dictionary defines perseverance as the quality of continuing to try to achieve a particular aim despite difficulties. In verse 27, Paul writes, I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, scholars aren't exactly sure what Paul meant by being disqualified. Now, we know it is a warning of some sorts if one one fails to run properly and persevere. And Paul's statement anticipates the following passage in chapter 10, which talks about Israel's wilderness generation that failed to reach the promised land. They failed to reach the promised land because they fell into idolatry, sexual immorality, and grumbling. And Paul was telling the Corinthians not to make the same mistakes that Israel made in the wilderness. Now, it's a sobering reminder that we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
A few verses later in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul writes, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now don't be mistaken, there will be challenges and setbacks along the way in the Christian life. Going back to the 5K race I mentioned earlier in which I, in which of, I, I can't find the medal, I trained and felt ready for it. However, I made a rookie mistake and then I let the adrenaline get the best of me. Right? I, I started the race well and was going faster than my normal pace. I didn't realize how many hills there were in downtown Morristown. By the third kilometer, I was out of gas and had to jog slowly. I mean, there was a point where I wasn't sure if I was going to finish the race, but I, I was able to. I had to dig deep to finish the, get to the finish line. Uh, otherwise, I would have probably died uh, of embarrassment and let my kids down who were waiting for me at the finish line. Now, that was a little bit more lighthearted example of a challenge. But let me be real with you today and give you another example. My first year in seminary, we faced what seemed to be an insurmountable challenge. Uh, one of our kids was diagnosed with an illness, and the doctors could not give us any assurances about a, a child's future. <clears throat> Naturally, we were devastated as parents when we first received the news. I mean, what, what do you do with that, right? And you can harden your heart and be angry at God, or you can soften your heart and depend upon God more fully. Well, we prayed, you know, asked God if he wanted us to leave seminary and go back home, but, you know, we felt God wanting us to stay the course, you know, trusting in him. And God has been faithful. He has, and he continues to provide the resources that we need, the people who love on and continue to help our child. Now, I don't know what challenges or setbacks you're facing in, in your life. Perhaps you have challenges in one of your relationships, challenges at work, challenges at school, or health challenges. Now, the good news, if you're a follower of Christ, and Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and we find it throughout Scripture, that God is faithful. God is faithful. God is a promise keeper. Paul in Philippians 1.6 writes that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're not running this race alone. Praise God for that. We have the Holy Spirit who calls us, empowers us, and guides us so that we can finish well. We also have the local church that God uses to help us persevere as we practice the one another's, right? As we love one another, as we encourage each other, pray for each other, carry each other's burdens. Maybe this picture might help. A log that is removed from a campfire will quickly die out. A log that is kept in the campfire will be able to remain on fire. Now, if you're not in a small group, you know, I want to strongly encourage you to get connected to a small group in 2020 so that your spark of faith can be fed and strengthened in the context of community. Now, as we wrap up, let me invite the worship team to you know, come back up, and I would like to end with a story. When I think of perseverance and finishing well, I think of my grandfather. He is, he is in his mid-90s. He was the first person in my family to be saved when he was in his 30s in Ecuador, where my family's from. Now, one of his regrets is that he wished he would have been saved at a younger age. He feels he wasted many of his younger years. Um, he tells his, his grand, grandchildren who grew up in a Christian home that, you know, you're, you're blessed and don't take that for granted. He's an evangelist, and he's still running hard for Jesus, given his age. It was only a few years ago that he stopped going on mission trips. Now, several months ago, he had an exploratory heart procedure because he has a failing uh, valve. 
Now, in the hospital, he told one of the nurses, God loves you. And she told him, you're, you're the second person to tell me that today. His reply back, I think God's trying to tell you something. And he's still pointing people to Jesus, and, and I hope to be able to finish well like him. So now we need to ask God to renew us every day, to give us grace to persevere and finish well. My prayer is that we will all take steps of faith this new year as we persevere to continue the mission of NBC to bring glory to God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, steps change stories. God wants to write a better story for your life and for my life. The question I want to leave with you today is, what steps are you going to take in 2020 to change your story? May God help our lives to be characterized by our pursuit of Jesus, by self-discipline, and perseverance. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, I thank you uh, for your word that was preached, and I just pray that you uh, help us, Lord, as we uh, persevere and as we try to finish the Christian life well. Lord, give us the strength that we need, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.